It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an edition of Dr. Stu's Podcast. Dr. Stuart Fishbein is right there. I'm Brian Whitman. Hello, my friend. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm good. I just had a therapy session. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, wait, 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 wait. That was that was our previous podcast. Th- this is podcast 67. Podcast 66 called Analyze This is where I put on. I was the doctor for a half hour there. Yeah. And you, and by the way, people should know it's funny here with my friend John Norton. Uh, we uh, do from the JDN Studios, the compound in uh, North Hollywood, California. The, Dr. Stu is on a couch. You actually are on a couch. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I am on a couch. And I came in with sort of a grimace and a frown on my face. And I dealt with by you. The, yeah, by the end of the podcast, I was smiling Wait, and laughing. You know, I had to draw it out of you. That's what I have to do. Sometimes so, by I, the way, if you ever lose your voice, you have another alternative occupation you but, can look into. Uh, by the way, seriously, uh, so so if I'm, not an, if, if I'm not an MD, if I'm not a doctor, but I'm a therapist, how much school? is required to do that uh i believe you get a graduate degree i mean undergraduate degree of four years i have that, that already and then i think you go at least two more years of in your master's it's a master's program for two years i believe and then um you have to put in something like 300 hours of oh is it right that 300 or 3000 oh gosh if it's 3000 no, i'm out it's some crazy number maybe it's 3000 yeah you know i should know this i mean i went through this with my with my uh, my wife when I, we were we were married, she was in school and she. I think it's th- like three thousand hours. Wow. Yeah, three hundred hours would be would, wouldn't take that long. Yeah, of where you where you have to be supervised by someone else. You know, it takes years. Right, but you know what I'll do? I won't do that. I'll just call myself a consultant. You know what I mean? Forget about. It. I don't have to call myself a therapist. I'll just be a life consultant. You'd be a life consultant. Then you don't need a license. <laughs> right. they're, they're, life coaching. Life coaching has become a fairly popular. Uh, profession right now and I, and I and i admire people who go into it because yeah i, I don't always because well, you know, <laughs> people be, buyer beware you know buyer beware well, you okay? know yeah i know you're right dr stewart like as i look on my facebook and my twitter and i see people on my you know my news feed friends who say they're life coaches or they're consultants and i go oh this guy's a con- i remember this guy yeah, this guy's a, a consultant because he was a, a terrible disc yeah, jockey he's a complete fuck up yeah, yeah right, he, yeah, right. right. Yeah. his yeah. whole life's a mess but he's consulting on other people right this right. guy now tells other talk show hosts how to do talk shows his sucked i heard his 20 years ago right you know makes me angry and then life coach what's all uh, and i shouldn't i you know i'll be a reverend for a moment you could be a reverend i have friends who are life coaches so who's uh, who's an effing life coach i need a life i mean okay so i go to a life who are you to be my life coach Uh, you know i sat with okay i don't want it says a bit about our society right now that we need life coaches doesn't it it really does you know we used to have we used to have uh rabbis and uh and priests and Ministers be our life coaches, but we've sort of become secularized and we've I, gone, gone away from that. I had a therapist, and I'm going back, gosh, more than 15 years ago. I've, I, I've had, oh, my life, folks. I've had, uh, you know, clinical depression, but since adolescence, I've had a pretty significant obsessive compulsive disorder. It comes and it goes, it ebbs and it flows. And now at 42, it's not as prominent in my life as, say, it was 20 years ago. And uh, maybe 15 years ago, it was terrible. So I went to a therapist, and I shouldn't judge, but I will. Uh, because we all do. She was gigantic. I mean, she had to be 350 pounds, if not 400. And I'm sitting there, and she I won't say her name, of course. She was a sweetheart. God bless her. She was a nice lady. But I'm sitting there going, really? She's going to help me get my act together? Right. And she, and she's eating Twinkies, you know, like like they're closing hostess it is, down? It is distracting, and, I bet. Yeah, and then, my, and then I'm like driving home, and I'm going, hey, Brian, why are you taking... If she had it so together, God, I'm fat right now, folks. I'm obese. It's not about fat people. But if she had it all together, she wouldn't be 400 pounds. And why is she my therapist? It's, it's glandular, Brian. 
She has a glandular problem. <laughs> but you you're not being very sensitive right now. <laughs> I'm not being my usual. No, sensitive, you're not being very sensitive. This is sort of this is what you're hearing now is one very real and prominent. You're hanging element. around Ben Shapiro too much. Oh, this is one very prominent <laughs> element of my personality. I get angry and feisty, and well, who are you to tell me to live how to live my life? <laughs> okay, so uh, Doctor Stu sits here for podcast 67. I love the way Brian just de- deviates and then comes right back on track again. Well, I'm you know, a- I can't do that. I I, f- I would forget what we had been talking about, but you, my man, with that peculiar brain of yours you think i could catch a baby yeah i think you could no i could not yes you well, you might no. faint but other than that <laughs> i think i would faint yeah but you could certainly catch a baby because there's nothing to it really it's nothing it's is it easy breezy it's yeah you, you basically your job is to not let them hit the ground yeah okay oh that i could probably right. do that i could probably and do. that's about it but otherwise sli- you keep your hands to yourself but they're slippery when they come out aren't they because they got all the stuff on them Babies are slippery when they come out, aren't they? Yeah, they, they, have, got, they have lots of stuff on them. Yeah, they got stuff on them. I've right. seen pictures. I got stuff on them. Right. Yeah. Never dropped one. Never. Th- knock on wood. Dr. Stu came in today. I said, what's going on, Stu? He said, well, I got, I have there a woman in very early labor. So what's that mean? Very early means what? Uh, early means that the contractions are not strong right now. They're, they're not as, you know, they're not three to four minutes apart yet. Uh, there's no. She hasn't broke her bag of waters. She's not. She's being able to talk right through them. Is it her first child right first now? Baby, first baby. She's breech. Okay. Oh, okay. She's out in Yehuppetsville. Oh, as okay. we like to say. Yeah, in I the don't. Business. I, I haven't seen that on my GPS. Right. Which which does come into play when you uh, when you practice uh, home birthing in Los Angeles because you have uh, it's a lot of rush hours. You a lot have, of yeah, you have rush hours. You have to. Uh, you know, deviate around a rush hour. So we have to figure, am I going to cut the podcast short today and go out? Or you know am I, I going to wait till after rush hour? We should get you a helicopter. That's what you need. Yeah, how about an ultralight? You, <laughs> what is an ultralight? It's like one of those little airplanes where you, this guy's sitting in a little chair and it has oh. like a little parachute. Oh, I see. All right. So you, something just popped with my microphone there, John. He's okay, right? Yeah, Dr. Stu's fine. His audio's fine. You're fine. It's You're not, okay. It's not I, coming out of that side. It's your headphones, not, not, but you sound fine. Uh, yeah, okay, good. Yep, you right. can trust me. I'm an audio professional. Right, it's one of those little things where you can uh, just, you know, you you take off really quickly and you go up and you've seen those little things floating around sometimes. I have. They frighten me. Yeah, well, yep. why? Well, but who wants to be that high up in the air sitting in a little but chair? But you're sitting like, in a parachute. I know, but that's still scary to me. I mean, you know, I don't know. You know, we talked about you, Dr. Stu, Urban Parachuter. That was a recent podcast. Got a lot of yeah, response. Yeah, it's funny how we got parachuting <laughs> twice here. Yeah. yeah. Let me, so, so, so now, see, here's what, here's what strikes me as uh, odd, if I may. And it's not odd to you because that's what you do. Well, by the way, the other option, Brian, were for me to move my practice to someplace like Wyoming. So you could be centrally located, more centrally located? No, so I wouldn't have any traffic. Oh, I see. Right, but yeah. I wouldn't have any clients either, but that's a matter. Oh, and obviously home birthing, we've talked about this way back in the past, home birthing in more <clears throat> sophisticated cosmopolitan urban centers, home, home birthing is more common than out in the sticks, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, yeah, well, I think there's just more practitioners available here. I don't think that sometimes in the sticks you have a lot of practitioners. But on the other hand, uh, I, I, I think that it's also more common in areas where you have good uh, transport and backup facilities. Sometimes it's so difficult if your nearest hospital is 50 miles away to be considering having a out-of-hospital birth. At the risk of sounding snobbish, let me ask, is there a level of intellectual advancement that sort of accompanies the decision to have a home birth? I would say yes. I don't think it's snobbish. I think that it takes a well-informed person to make that decision, either somebody who's well-informed or somebody who's experienced it in their life before. Uh, many of the clients that come in uh, for home birth either were born at home themselves or their siblings were born at home or their sisters had home births, so they've already had exposure to it. But otherwise, it really does take someone who, who does takes the time to investigate all options. It's sort of like having an educated voter, unless that's an oxymoron. 
you know, because... But there are, here's the good news, there really are educated voters. There are, but there aren't a lot, right? Right. There's not enough. Would you say most people don't pay attention to an election until probably a week before the election? I'd say most voters are particularly emotional and less informed than they should be. Correct. I think that would be my analysis of that. You know, you said... Which is why sometimes these propositions who who, you know, are, are really detrimental, but they have a f- kind of funny catchphrase that catches people's eye, they'll pass much to the detriment of the, of the population itself. You and I talked about, what was it, Prop 46, about uh, doctors be drug tested. That's a recent podcast, and I'm seeing, I, wor- I do a radio show here in Los Angeles, yes. and I, it might be on our radio station, or maybe it's not, I hope it is. I hope their advertising money has found its way to our show. Uh, but I've seen in media a lot of advertisements uh, against Prop 46. Right, well, yeah. there's big money against Prop 46, because this is one of those rare times where the insurance companies and the physicians and the California Teachers Association are on the same side. That's a bottomless it's, well of cash. Yeah, that's, that, is a, that is a strange bedfellows yeah right interesting right uh, you said a moment ago and then uh, move on to this labor i have some questions for you but uh, uh you said that uh, oftentimes people who come to you who've made the decision to have a birth at home are people who were uh, born at home but isn't it funny when we stop and think we only anybody alive right now hearing dr stew's podcast you don't have to go back too many generations to find a family member was born at home because before hospitals it was all at home yeah, well, most people that that but those people are pretty much all dead. Now. Well, that's what I mean. But 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 right. if it's a family thing, right? I mean, you know, it's uh, the concept. In defense of the concept, the concept is so foreign to some people. Home birth, birth at home. Well, you know, go back to your grandparents. They probably were born at home. Yeah, well, yeah, your grandparents very likely were born at home. If right. they were born in the you know before nineteen twenty or nineteen thirty, they were probably born at home. And there is there is something to be said about the the way that. You know, it used to be felt that it was nurture versus nature. It was genetics versus environment. And now we're very we're finding out, and we've been finding out for a long time, but it's starting to finally make the mainstream um, uh, literature that there is something called epigenetics. And I'm just beginning to scratch the surface myself that your life experiences shape your genetic makeup. And so two people with the same gen- two sets of twins who are born differently may develop different problems during or different uh, 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 challenges, challenges in life, or, or successes in life, based on their the the stresses that they went through during the during their uh, uh, in utero period of time, and also during their labor and, and neonatal period of time. So, so a lot of what you're saying, we, we jokingly say, well, if you've been exposed to home birth, then you're more likely to have a home birth. Well, it may be that you've been exposed to home birth, and something in your in your brain was reset or or set differently. And that this is more appealing to you than someone who was born by a cesarean section. Interesting. I have to explore this and, and forget everything I have in front of me because I have to ask no, you. No, we got to get to that stuff. Yeah, but. I know. We do have to get to this stuff. And we will, but I have to. I have, <laughs> you're funny. I have to get to this because we say, all of I say, everybody I know says, well, you know, I don't remember being a baby. I don't remember being one or two. Are you suggesting that there's something about us that actually does recall all of that? I'm not saying you necessarily recall it in the form of what you and I would consider normal memory. Although there are people who believe that you can remember your birth if you figure out how to do it, and and a lot of smart people say that I, I, I'm not I'm not in touch with myself in that I way. I think you might need assistance from t- Doctor <laughs> Timothy Leary or something. Possibly, right? yeah, or, or or something that Timothy Leary liked to ingest, right? Or just go to a, a, go about. to a go to a Grateful Dead cover band concert. But nonetheless, uh, I think that you're not necessarily talking about memory in that sense. You're talking about cellular memory, which is a different process, mm. and and maybe the way that when you experience something your brain fires or the neurons attached in a different way 
early on in your life that then make it more appealing. It may trigger more loving sensations than more adver- uh, aversive sensations. Mm, I see. Okay. So uh, I was going to say, you come in here, you know, cool as a cucumber, doctor. Oh, yeah, I've got the, you know, we, we do have a, a client in labor, but you're so calm. I mean, with, with that, the experience comes this level of comfort. I mean, but, but you, so if somebody calls you and says, I'm in early labor, you know, you have how much time? You know, you've got. It depends if it's their first baby. You know, you generally have a lot of time. Uh, you know, usually the fir- a first labor will be around 14 hours on average, give or take. And okay. Now, sometimes it's faster. And you know what? If it went really fast and I wasn't there, well, then the baby comes out and I wasn't there. So you and I are sitting here in the afternoon now. Seriously, you might be up all night tonight, right? I might be. Yeah. I might be, or I might be sleeping on someone else's couch tonight. Yeah, I, I would assume those, the clients have to, they they have to be hospitable to Dr. Stu, because if you're waiting on the baby, you're hitting the couch. That's right. Yeah. Because again, you know, the model we talk about is that once I'm there and set up, there's not a lot for me to do. They give you a pair of slippers and a robe so you can shuffle around nope, the place? Nope, I, I, I come in my sweatpants and my t-shirt and... <laughs> And uh, Here, here's you know, the fridge. What's ours is yours. Foot. Yep. We, we <laughs> raid the fridge and we tell stories. And, you know, thank God for uh, smartphones because we spend a lot of time, you know, Facebooking it or uh, mm. look, I'm reading my, uh, you know, Sports Center stuff. Sure. Or, sure. Reading about those kings, those LA kings. Yep. Yeah. Well, right now, there's, uh, I check every day. There's no news. There's no it. news, right? Yeah. No news. Okay. Interesting. We're less than a month away from the start of the season. Yeah, though. I know. I thought about you because the other day they, cool. uh, they have a new broadcast home here in Los Angeles. Yes. At KABC. Yeah, but uh, good people. I worked there for seven years myself. They're good people. They're excited to have the LA Kings. I was talking to a mom, a friend of mine who's a mom the other day, and she has a cousin who was expecting uh, a baby and was, was, was overdue. And uh, I heard a myth that I had never heard before talking about being in labor. And she said, she said, I called her my cousin up and I said, girl, you got to have some spicy food, some Thai food. Does Thai food, does spicy food induce labor, Dr. Stewart? Is that a myth? It's a myth. It's a myth. Right. She went out, got the pad Thai, the whole thing. It was a big Thai buffet. You know what? Labor comes when labor comes. Mm. Because, you know, Brian, just use logic. If Thai food or spicy food induced labor... I would have been. I would have had my first baby 20 years ago. Yeah, or... or, or <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying that, that a woman who has uh, Thai food at 30 weeks should go into labor. Well, I mean, the suggestion was that, you know, if you're ready and you're pretty close and it just need that extra little... You know, oomph, if, you're, you know if, if you're ready, uh, you know, some, some Fruit Loops will probably induce labor. It, 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 it starts because... Right, so it starts because some woman somewhere along the line had, had pad yes. tie and then went into labor and told a friend who told a friend who told a friend and it's on the internet and now I'm getting told by a friend of mine about her cousin. If you took... If you take 100 women who are 42 weeks pregnant and you fed them a Pop-Tart, all right... The next day, some of them are going to go into labor and they're going to think it was the Pop-Tart. This is the humorous side of pregnancy. Right. I, it would seem to me you've- It's prob- not the Pop-Tart. <laughs> Just want you to know that pop, Pop-Tarts are good. By they the way, are good. Yes. You have probably encountered- like in- 240 calories in Who cares? Y- YOLO. You only live once. Hashtag YOLO. <laughs> Pop-Tarts for breakfast, Pop-Tarts for lunch, Pop-Tarts for dinner. Hashtag YOLO. Here's, you must, uh, it would seem to me, <laughs> interacting with all of the pregnant- He's on a roll, folks. Women that I'm you've dealt shut with. Up. You must hear- expressed with the straightest face and the most confidence, the most bizarre theories about pregnancy from people who are pregnant. Because you can't, in my experience, my friends who have been pregnant, you can't, if, if they've had an experience while they're pregnant, you can't tell them otherwise. Yeah. You know, I couldn't tell my friend the other day that the Thai food thing wasn't true. It was like it was in the scripture. It was like it was in the book of John. You know, the John, you know, John 320 wrote it. Yep. There, you know, there's, resi- <laughs> there's restaurants in Los Angeles who, who claim who claim that? Who claim you come and eat our salad dressing and you're going to go into labor? But it's a, really but, yeah. But it's the pop tart theory. 
if all these women are finally are way overdue and they're de- desperate to go into labor and they go eat the salad, some of them are going to go into labor and they're going to think it was the salad, but they would have gone into labor anyway. Is there a lot of superstition that accompanies? That's not science. Right. It's not science. Yeah. You know, you, you, you hear all kinds of things. You hear about, you know, if you carry this way, it's a girl, or if you carry that way, it's a boy. If you reach up to put something on the top shelf in the kitchen, you're going to strangle your baby. You better not do that. Mm, right. You have to have somebody else put the stuff away. And we've talked in the past. Yeah, uh, about uh, the cord thing. Yeah. And, and on pre- yeah. Right. On previous podcasts, we've had, you know, going back, I mean, you know, to, to the early days, I remember having a conversation here on Dr. Stu's podcast. And basically the takeaway was when a pregnant lady, when a pregnant woman tells another pregnant woman something, they always listen. You know, she can be at the checkout at the supermarket and the cashier can say, oh, well, with my first one, bop, 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 and that's gospel. Oh, for the for the person saying it. And for the person hearing it. Well, also, you know, sometimes, yeah, no? not, not okay. our clients. Yeah, but but I'm saying that if you're well-educated, then you let that stuff roll off your back. But if you're if you're fear-based, if you have a fear-based pregnancy, then you then it's very common for you to be worried about stuff like that. Like people will, people will hear stuff all the time. I will get text messages saying, my girlfriend told me this, what do you think? And I think that you shouldn't listen to your girlfriend. That's my response. Yeah, good, good. It's honest. Uh, You mentioned fear-based pregnancies. Have a fearless pregnancy. That's the name of Dr. Stu's book. Not a plug that he wanted or anticipated, but I'm going to do it because it's uh, been out for a while. I interviewed you so long ago on KABC about it. Yes, we did. We did a radio show. That was a lot of fun with the two other authors. That was our first time. Joyce and Victoria. We had a really good time. Fearless pregnancy. It's on Dr. Stu's. We took call-ins, too. Remember people were calling in? Oh, yeah, radio show, phone and everything. Funny, Funny stuff with medical shows. People will call in and go. You know, I saw my doctor, and my doctor said I have this, and I went to another doctor, and he said I have this. What do you think? <laughs> you know, right. I, I, my answer is always if you get two doctors to agree on something, you probably got this. So. And then she's going to go back to the other doctor and say, Well, you told me, and then another one called me, and then I called the guy on the radio. What do you think? Right. Yeah, it just right. goes back around. Right. No, no. So you, it, it's shaping up for what looks like a busy week for Dr. Stu. We have someone in labor right now and uh, two twins this week, right? Last week. Or a set yeah. of twins, I should say. Yeah. Two yes. twins, two babies, one set of twins. One set of twins last week. Very, very nice birth. And then again, a boy and a girl, or what'd you get? Uh, think for a second. Uh, Two two uh, boys. Two boys. Is, is yeah, that, Cyrus how, and oh my god! I'm what a beautiful get, I'm, name. I'm going to get yelled at for this. Oh, Ke- Keelan. Oh, what nice names. Yes. What nice names. Mom and dad, or Keelan. mom and mom, or dad and dad, or yes, whatever. Yes, they're they're lo- <laughs> great names. Uh, really, a woman who trusted her body, a husband who trusted her his wife, and uh, a story that deserves a little bit of um, uh, acknowledgement because, again, a, a pat on the back for the sanctuary people and myself. We, I don't like to do this, but I, I have to say that this is a woman who probably in Los Angeles, maybe one or two other physicians would have gotten her a vaginal birth. Everyone else, she would have had a C-section. And I'll tell you, here's, what, here's how it goes. She's, she's a first-time mom. She has something called monochorionic diamniotic twins, which tends to freak out people because there's a chance early in pregnancy that one baby could end up pumping blood to the other baby. It's called twin-twin transfusion syndrome. But there was no sign of it in this pregnancy. And if by 25, 26, 27 weeks it hasn't happened, then um, there's really no problem as long as the babies are growing concordantly. Her babies were growing concordantly, and she got to 37 weeks, and then she got to 38 weeks, and then she got to 39 weeks. And part of this time, when she was 36, 37 weeks, her husband had to go out of the country. Oh, wow. So she was freaking out because she didn't want to go into labor with him. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show that she didn't go into labor, but it also goes to show that when you're stressed out, it's less likely you're going to go into labor. So sort of nature had a way of keeping her pregnant while he was out of town. And he came home and she had the baby. Well, he came back and then the 39 weeks came and went, 40 weeks came and went, and she got to uh, just about 41 weeks, which... Of course, in most practices in Los Angeles, no one's going to let twins go to 41 weeks. Mm. 
but we did. And she broke her bag of waters on a Tuesday morning. Clear fluid. Uh, what, just, what clear fluid means good? Normal, yeah. Okay. No, no passage of meconium. Forgive me, like I just don't know First sometimes. baby was head down. The other baby was sort of almost head down, but was sort of what we call an oblique lie. Uh, pretty much certain that the head would come down after this first twin came out, but you're not 100% certain. Mm. Some people are very uncomfortable with that because they don't know how to do a breech extraction should that twin turn sideways or whatever. So they would have done a C-section for that because second twin wasn't definitively head down. Uh, so that's two reasons why she would have had a C-section. The third reason was she ruptured her membranes on a Tuesday morning. She didn't go in labor, in, into labor until Wednesday night. Mm. And she actually delivered both twins uh, five minutes apart, uh, 47 hours after she ruptured her membranes. Uh, never had a fever, never had a problem. Both twins did beautifully. One weighed six pounds, 10 ounces. That was Cyrus. And the Kean was um, five pounds, 10 ounces. And they they did they did great. If I uh, Mike, because obviously you know we, we don't know who this person is. Uh, were these twins? I assume most of the time, to, uh, 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 most of the time, twins we see in 2014 are a result of fertility treatments. Of course, it was at the case here, no. or it was not. No. How how rare are twins? If there's no fertility treatment, how rare is Mother Nature going to send you twins? I was always taught that the rate of twinning uh, prior to IVF was one in eighty. One out of every 80 pregnancies would be twins. Oh, that's higher than I would have guessed as just a guy on the street. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and what... I mean, I think, I think most people going through high school or, or elementary school probably knows at least one set of twins in their, their grade. I mean, yeah, I do. When yeah. you and I went, now it's, now it's quite far more common now. Yeah, but right. Now the, I think the incidence of twinning is down to one in 40. Right. But that's because of the um the fertility IVF treatment. stuff now right? what what uh, 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 trends uh, twins so there's fraternal and identical identical twins that's real rare right identical twins. no no identical twins is uh is is common too it is right yeah it is are, are identical twins less common than so-called fraternal twins i believe so right right okay identical twins require one egg to split fraternal twins means that the woman ovulated two eggs i see all right. See, I, yeah, I didn't know that until so just now. So technically, fraternal twins. I was are, not. A, I, I got a sixty-five on the biology regents in New York State. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Identical twins are are, are identical, and fraternal twins are essentially brothers or sisters, uh, just happen to be born at the same time. I see. Because okay. they're just two separate eggs, just like you and your brother, who might be three years different age than you. Yeah. Are two separate eggs. I see. Now, when when twins come, typically, how much time in between? One baby comes in. Well, that's interesting. This was the fastest I'd ever had twins in between where I didn't do any meddling. It used to be when I delivered twins in a hospital setting, once the first twin was out, you'd pretty much cut the cord right away, which we don't do anymore. And then we would go up and we would rupture the membranes of the second twin and have her push the second twin out, even if she wasn't ready to push the second twin out. We would want her to start that, get that second twin out. Or we'd reach up and pull it out if it was sideways. or reach. So For the purpose were, of efficiency? In it, hindsight, yes. Okay, good. You're so you're wonderful. You're so honest. I love you. I love you. In yeah, hindsight, right, yeah, yeah, you've right. got you've got an anesthesiologist because you're, you're delivering these twins in the operating room. So you've got an anesthesiologist. You've got the pediatric team or the NICU team, whichever is your hospital has. You've got several nurses there. You might have a resident or two. Everybody's watching because everybody loves the birth of twins. It's very exciting, and this one was no different. Right, but. I think that the reason that was done is that's just the way it was always done, and I think part of it was done for expediency. Yeah, okay. I think you don't want to have the anesthesiologist sitting around for two hours. Right, but now you'll, you'll let, because I think you've told me in the past, now you just let it be for a Yeah, moment. and the longest twin set of twins I had at home was four hours and 19 minutes apart. Wow. Actually, I actually 
you know, she got to spend a lot of time with her baby. She got to breastfeed her baby. Her contractions just didn't come back for the second twin. We were keeping an eye on the second twin. The heart rate was fine. The bag of waters on the second twin was still intact. There was no reason to do anything at that point. And uh, so she got a good time to bond. And then eventually, after about three hours, and I had taken a nap on the sofa. Sure. After about three hours, the, the midwives come and, you know, we're talking about it. And he said, you know what? Let's try to do some stuff. So we get her up. We do a little nipple stimulation. We get her walking. We try to get her. Call for some Thai food. We should, yeah. Right. No, <laughs> we, I'm sorry. Right. We, that, we debunked that. Yeah. Yeah, we got Pop-Tarts, though. <laughs> we passed the Pop-Tarts around and, uh, you know, finally got her back into labor. But but that's the unusual one. This this one was was fantastic, and nature knew exactly what to do because after the first twin came out, I, I took my ultrasound machine, and I would take a quick peek at Baby B, and Baby B's heart rate was about 85 to 90, which is low. It usually was running around 130 to 140, so it was having a little bit of a D-cell. Now, okay. that's not uncommon right after the birth of the first twin. And, and it's not alarming? It's not alarming if it goes back to normal, but this one stood there, it stayed there for about a minute or two. And so at that point, I said, well, listen, I just want to examine you and see what's going on because if the baby's heart rate stays down, I need to know what position the baby's in, what's going on. So I examine her and the baby's head is like right there. Oh, wow. So probably it was having a D-cell partly because it was coming down so fast. I didn't even rupture the membranes. We never even knew what happened to the membranes of the second quid. No one saw a gush of fluid or anything, but the, uh, the baby had normal fluid prior to labor and we've been following them. So somewhere along the line, the baby, second baby's bag must have ruptured, and that baby came out. Uh, at One was born at eight in the morning, and one was born at eight oh five. So morning. minutes after you had this sort of uh, examination, the baby was born. Yeah, and it was so cute because both cords were still pulsating. Both cords were still attached to the baby, and the babies were laying on mom's chest, side to side, with you know, crying in stereo. And it was just, <laughs> it was very cute. How and, sweet! And one was one was really interesting because one was really cherubic and red, and the other one was a little more pale. The baby B was a little more pale, so we wanted to make sure. We gave baby B as much time as it needed to um, get its cord blood. But both the babies are doing fine. I'm happy to pour a week out now or more, than, and they're doing fine. And uh, That's wonderful. Yeah, they, they lost a little bit of weight like babies do. Mom was breastfeeding. Mom was a little ragged. They were keeping her up a lot, and okay. she was having a, a tough time. It's tough with one baby, let alone having two. When you mentioned uh, these twins and you mentioned the names, I said, oh, gr- you know, great choices of names, and I credited mom and dad. And then I said, or mom and mom, because I'm being politically correct. And then I said, or dad and dad. And I'm sitting here thinking, have you ever dealt with a situation where you have two dads, it's uh, uh, gay men, yes. and they have a surrogate mom, Yes. who has the baby for them. Yes. That has That's, to... That has to happen, by the way. The, uh, right, the two, yeah. The two dads can't have I told baby. you I was bad at biology. <laughs> I'm not that bad. But yeah. that... I, I think about a surrogate mom in that case. Yeah. It has to be a pretty particular female person who can do that. Right? Or am I... To, to yeah, give, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. Right? They're, they're, they seem to be very... You know, they, some people think that it must be very, very difficult for them. And That's I, what I think. And I think those that are giving up a baby because of of social trauma or or just a bad social situation. I'm sure it's very difficult for them. But there are many women who give surrogacy because it brings them great joy. One, they love being pregnant. And two, it brings them great joy to be able to give this gift to two other human beings. Do you, in your practice, Dr. Stu, in the decades you've been doing this here in Los Angeles, have you interacted with a lot of surrogate moms? Not a lot. Not a lot, but but I would say more than ten. But ha, have but you met? Oh, it, well, that to me is a lot because I, I don't think I know really any personally. I've interviewed on the radio maybe over the years. Have you? Do you deal with a lot of? Have you met a woman who's a surrogate mom who has no children of her own? What I mean is keeps none of the children, but oh, but has has given birth for the benefit 
in a beautiful gesture for other families and doesn't have for her own children she's raising. Is that common? No, I've never met a woman who's a surrogate who hasn't had like three or four or five children of her own. Really? Okay, yeah. interesting. They tend to be women who, have, who love being pregnant. And love and, being moms and want to extend and, the parenthood correct. to others. That's right. That, that, that's pretty typical of it. It's women who've had multiple babies who then want to, who are then uh, graciously going to be able to do that for someone else. That's not because it would seem to me really, I'm, I'm glad because mentally, emotionally, you'd have to be well prepared because uh, I know to a lot of women listening to Dr. Stu's podcast, but that might sound like to me, and obviously, you know, I'm a dude to me, that would seem overwhelming to go through that, to give birth. And then what a beautiful expression to then give the child to whether it's two dads or to, you know, to, to, a, to a, a woman who couldn't get pregnant uh, for whatever reason. It's a beautiful gesture, but wow, that must, that could be potentially in a way that maybe you couldn't even imagine emotionally difficult, but not really. Yeah, for right? you and I, Brian, it's, it's impossible for me to imagine that. It uh, is, right? It, me I too. Mean, it, is, it is one of the most ultimate gifts. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly got to be more difficult than giving a kidney to somebody. Yeah. Uh, because you're giving this, this living being and you really, you know, sometimes you may have connection with them. Right. You may end up seeing them again in the future. But the, the whole point of it is that you're probably giving them up to never see them again. It's magnificent, isn't it? It's really interesting. I know it's been happening forever. Uh, you know, it's been happening, you know, for, well, you know, for my lifetime. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a charitable thing to do. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, we're seeing a diminishment of, I think, charity uh, and charitable behavior uh, as, you know, th- economic times are tough or has, we, has, go, we go more towards secularism. I'm not here to talk politics with you, but I think... We do? No, I a love lot to of these, you, A right? lot of these, most of these women who do this are are probably good religious women, uh, mainly of the Christian faith. Dr. Stu, has the, has the advent and the sort of, um, the, the, the common use of fertility treatment, has that reduced the number of surrogacies and surrogate moms? Has that, has that number gone down because fertility treatments in women who otherwise would have chosen a surrogate are going up? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know, Brian. I actually know, I have a good friend of mine who is a, uh, runs a, sur- has been a surrogate mom and runs a surrogacy Thing I can ask you that question and try to report back to you on that one. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, it's I, interesting. I, to I, me. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's a very good question. I mean, certainly, uh, if you're talking about gay couples, gay men couples, they have to require surrogacy. Sure. Of course. Right. 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 But I think that um, female couples are often going to. You know, they're not. They don't need surrogates. You know, they they sure. one, one of the two will generally have a baby, and right. often what's really exciting and interesting about it is that if they want a second child, then the other one. We'll have the other. We'll have the second child. So Isn't the, that wonderful? So the, the brother and sister are technically not related unless they use the same sperm donor. Right. Interesting. Wow. Right. That is, yeah. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it is fascinating. It is stuff. interesting. It's a yeah. great study in in humanity. I mean, it's a great sort of a snapshot of where we are, and I think it's wonderful. Well, I think all of it's birth, wonderful. Birth I do. is a birth and pregnancy are something that affects every family. It is. It is. Uh, I'm very fortunate. You know, we spend a lot of time here on the podcast talking about. This, this this thing that's ill-conceived or this person who did something wrong or this stupidity or this, that, and other thing. But, but overall, every day, um, what we do and the people that I get to work with, the, the Sarah Buckleys of the world and the Anna Paula Markells of the world and my, at least my little world here and the and friendships and community that I've, that I've made that I never had that sense in the medical world. I did, you asked me in the last podcast, you know, are, are, is there a fellowship of, of uh, doctors? And the answer, truth is no, doctors tend to not do this sort of thing, but there is a fellowship of of midwives and birth junkies, as we as we like to call ourselves, <laughs> who get a real 
uh, joy out of the process of this. It is a stressful business. It's a stressful profession. There's a lot of outside pressures on it. But ultimately, when it comes down to that woman in labor and the sounds that she's making and the and the nurturing she's getting from her partner and from their doula in the dark little space, and generally these things occur at night, and you're in that little space, and you are you are feel really honored and really special to share that space with these with these women. Always great to talk to you, Doctor Stu, about home birthing, and always great to talk to you about whatever subject comes up here on Doctor Stu's podcast. Got someone in labor, so if you're up all night, buddy, call me. I'll be up all night too. I never sleep, so you call never me. sleep. Well, I mean, you know, maybe last night an hour and a half, you know. So call me. Why is that, Brian? Why? I, know, I got a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a person. Uh, my, it comes from Nana, Nana, Nana Ruggy, my mom's mom. Uh, said, Brian, you're like me. When, when my head hits the pillow, I review the entire day. Instead of relax, I go through a slideshow of the whole day. Yeah, and are you also prepping for the next day too, or because of your because of your work? Yeah, I guess I'm always sort of thinking about what you'll do on the next radio show. But Wait, uh, let me ask you a question because I think some of our listeners want to know: when you get up, you have a, you do a show from six to nine o'clock here on Drive Time in, in L.A. Right? How do you just show up? <laughs> and look, and somebody hands you like a bunch of news stories and you ad lib, or do you prep? Do you get up at four in the morning and prep for two hours? I, the first part I love. The first, I love and I think, I, I think, uh, I like to think of what I do as a performance. I like to think that I'm a performer who's on the radio. The medium I perform on is the radio. Right. So I, I like the idea of ad libbing, reacting naturally to a lot of stories that I'm hearing about for the first time. So there is some of that. We have great producers who do prep the show. Uh, I'm very aware of what the material will be uh, hours before the show, but I do get up in the morning. I'm a news junkie. I think anybody who does what I do, talk radio or or in the news, in media, uh, you're always, you're always, everything, the conversation we're having right now, the conversation, what might happen to me when I walk outside, everything is fodder potentially for the radio show. Right. So you're like sort of a giant sponge and I'm, you're always mindful. Well, you're, of, you're, yeah, your mind is extremely sharp and extreme, extremely clever and you're, and you have a very fast wit. And, I, and one of the things I, I was listening to you the other day, and thank you, you. you were interviewing the two governors because uh, <laughs> the governors were having a a, uh, a Arnold love Schwarzenegger affair. and Jerry Brown. And you were I do, was and playing, you were, and you were doing both voices. Actually, I know. Actually, Ben Shapiro was playing Jerry Brown. That was Ben. Can you believe it? Oh, he did a good job. He did a good job. But I was Schwarzenegger. Yeah, no, it was him. Oh, people I wondered think how you me. did it because you almost stepped on each other sometimes. And I thought you were building. Who's that? Like Phil Hendry or somebody that does? Yeah, I do that. I go back and forth a lot. I mean, I go back and forth. Right, a lot, but this, know. but this was. I was very impressed <laughs> with yeah. with the conversation that you and Ben were having. I didn't yeah. know it was Ben. I thought you were having it with yourself. I do that sometimes. And you know, I once had a, a shrink say to me, and I'll uh, we'll leave you with this. I once had a psychiatrist <laughs> say, because I do. I'm an impressionist, right? So I, 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 and I do characters. And I had a psychiatrist once say to me after a particularly different time in my life in down in Orange County in California he looked at me he's now retired a great man I won't say his name but God bless him he helped me a lot he sat down he was doing the initial you know evaluation he said Brian let me ask you a question he said do you hear voices and I said uh well I said um I got sort of an interesting answer and he went oh I could see him going oh god here we go because by the way the standard answer is no I don't hear voices if you don't want to be held for a while tell him you don't hear voices I said I do impressions I said so for example in my mind I hear Ronald Reagan saying Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall I don't hear a guy yelling at me to go shoot up the post office. <laughs> right. You know, then he said, oh, so that I sort of understand, you know. So that was my complicated And when, and when you think of Arnold, what do you think of? I think it is so great. I mean, it's wonderful. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Dr. Stu's podcast. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Great to talk to you, my friend. Oh, I'm so jealous of you. Oh, I'm jealous of you. Please, You must, you you must be so much fun at parties. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Well, you, you are coming with me next week, right? Yes, we're going to have fun. We're, we're having dinner. We're, we're going to dinner. Uh, I, uh, my, we, have, we have my... Um, 
my Wasilla, Alaska uh, doctor friend who's going to be in town. And will uh, she talk about Sarah Palin? Is that a topic she'll go to with I me? I don't know. Okay, we'll find out. All right, we're going to give you good... some material for your next show. <laughs> Sometimes I turn, I'm not looking for material. Sometimes I just want to socialize and have right, fun. We're getting stepped on by Thor, so it's All time right. to go. We'll, we'll see, see you later. next time. Bye. Subscribe on iTunes. We'll see you next time for Dr. Stuart Fishbone. I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's podcast. <laughs>